This morning's scripture reading will be read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for the privilege that we have to be together today. We do want to encourage everyone to make plans to be back again next Sunday for the beginning of our gospel meeting. We want to fill the building and we want to see each and every person here, if at all possible. We're very grateful for the opportunity that we've had to participate in our worship service thus far. And today we're going to be looking at Genesis, the third chapter. And as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be asking the question, where are you? Life is pictured in the Bible as a journey. The Apostle Peter talks about how we as the people of God are pilgrims or sojourners here upon planet earth. And sometimes it's good for us to ask the question, where are we? In other words, as we journey through life, where are we? More important, where are we in relationship to our walk with the Lord. God in the long ago asked Adam and Eve, where are you? And I think that that's a very pertinent question. Where are we spiritually speaking? In light of the fact that we are but sojourners upon this earth, where are we in the context of our relationship with the Lord? In looking at Genesis chapters 2 and 3, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider in light of this question. The first thing that you and I need to see in this particular setting has to do with the prohibition set forth by God. Now, you recall God created the world and all things therein. God is the one who created man in his own image and likeness. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, that when God surveyed the things that he, that he had created, it was good. It was very good. In chapter 2, we read of the first couple being placed in what we might call a utopian environment, the Garden of Eden. And while in that utopian environment, God set forth a prohibition, a command, and in the long ago, here is what God said. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you will surely die. First of all, we think about His command. You know, the Bible is filled with various commands of Almighty God. When God placed the first couple in the garden, here was this very succinct command. 
You may eat of all of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat. And this, I think, leads us to the fact that God endowed members of the human family, beginning with Adam and Eve, the liberty to make choices in life. Life is about making choices. Sometimes we make very difficult choices in life. And then there are times when we make choices in life that are very minute. I'm reminded of Joshua in the long ago when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. When Jesus contrasted the two roads of life, the straight and the narrow path, and the broad or the wide path, Ultimately, what he was saying is, I'm giving you choices in life. We think about God blessing us with the fact that we have been made in his image and likeness. And one of the ways that we have been created in the image and the likeness of God is that we have the ability of choice. We are free moral agents. We have been endowed with the ability to choose what we want to do in this life. And so God gave the first couple a choice. But then also in the third place, we think about the consequences. God said, here is the prohibition, here is the command. And then here is the choice. But then here is the consequence of your actions because God said if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the day you eat of it you're going to die bringing to mind what Paul wrote in Galatians 6 verses 7 and 8 when he said be not deceived God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap every action has a corresponding reaction the choices that we make in life ultimately will play out down the road. So we think about this prohibition, but then in the second place, look at chapter 3 and think about the provocation. And as we look to the provocation, we think first of all of the culprit. And the culprit has relevance to us because we're talking about the serpent. And the serpent appears in the Garden of Eden. And the Bible tells us that the serpent was more cunning or more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And here's what he said to the woman. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now we talk about the practices of the devil. And this is the first time that we're introduced to the serpent, to the devil. And there are a couple of things that you and I need to see in relationship to the work of the devil. Number one, he is deceitful. And number two, we need to think about or see his devices. The devil has a lot of devices that he uses. They're at his disposal. And he uses them to ultimately subvert members of the human family. And that's exactly what we find him doing with the first couple. And so he appears on the scene and he asks Mother Eve, has God said you shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden? Here's what Eve said. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now God had indeed said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say anything about touching it. But nonetheless, this is what Eve said to the serpent. Now, I said just a moment ago that the, that the devil is subversive. And not only is he a deceiver, but he also uses a number of devices to entrap or entice the human family. And so listen to what, listen to what the serpent said in verse 4. You will not surely die. Now was that what God had said? No, God said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said the day you eat thereof you will surely die. And yet the serpent said you will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be as God knowing good and evil. The Bible says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I think about the subtility of the devil. And the fact that Jesus said of the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44, that he is a liar. If you want to talk about somebody, a being who has no truth at all existing in him, that would be the devil. And the devil here is personified as a liar. But then he used as a tool or a device to deceive Mother Eve. He appealed to her pride. God knows that in the day that you eat, of this tree, then you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil. Now having said that, look now at the consent. When we think about the work of the devil and we talk about temptation that comes upon us, really it comes in stages. Number one, there is enticement. And that's what Satan did. He baited Mother Eve. By saying, God knows the day you eat of this, you'll be like him. Now look, if you would, at verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible says, when the woman saw. In other words, when she saw that the tree was good for food. How does Satan appeal to us? Sometimes he uses the appeal of things. James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. That's what happened here. She saw something, and in seeing something, she desired it. Now John talks about in 1 John chapter 2, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That's what we have unfolding before us in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Here we have the first couple being tempted by the devil. 
So first of all, there is enticement, and then there is entrapment. Now, James said, every man is drawn away by his own lust, and lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. You might like to fish, and you understand that if you're going to go out and catch a fish, one of the things you have to have is the right kind of bait. And you use different kinds of bait for different kinds of fish. Well, here was the bait that Satan used to tempt Mother Eve. He enticed her, and then ultimately he entrapped her. And so look at what it said. When she saw that it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, had the ability to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate thereof. Now, she didn't just stop there. But the Bible says, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he did eat. So what do you have? You have enticement, entrapment, and then ultimately endangerment. Why endangerment? Because God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. God could not have made it any plainer. And God had said in a very plain and forthright manner, look, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. And so, they're now endangered. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and, that, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now, Think with me, if you would, in the third place of the probing. And what I want you to see now is a cross-examination by Almighty God. I think about a courtroom, courtroom scene. And maybe many of us have had the opportunity from time to time to, to watch courtroom scenes unfold on television. Maybe we have physically been present. When a person is cross-examined by a prosecutor or a defendant, well, God is going to cross-examine the first couple. And what you need to see first of all is the fact that they tried to evade the Lord. Look at what it said, beginning in verse 8. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, the Bible says, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What were they trying to do? They were trying to evade the presence of Almighty God. Now, you and I know that's not possible. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. The Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 4, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight. All things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, God sees everything. And God saw the first couple, but they were trying to hide from him. Somewhat reminiscent of Jonah. You remember God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to those people? And verse 3 tells us that he arose and fled from the presence of the Lord. 
Here was Jonah trying to flee from the presence of Almighty God. That's what Adam and Eve were doing. And sometimes we ourselves try to evade the Lord. But listen to what the Lord, listen to what the Lord said. Adam, where are you? Did God know where Adam as well as he, did he know where they were? Well, of course he did. God knew exactly where the first couple were. But God wanted the first couple to know where they stood. That's why I asked the question, where are you? Sometimes it's helpful for us to ask the question, where are we? Now I said a moment ago, that Adam and Eve tried to evade the Lord. And really what they were trying to do was hide from His presence. Now there are a lot of people today that try to hide from the Lord. In other words, the idea is out of sight, out of mind. Well, how does that relate to us? Well, the idea is if I never pick up this book and read about Almighty God, if I never read anything about the Lord, if I never read anything about Jesus Christ, I'm not confronted with my spiritual condition. Out of sight, out of mind. We're trying to live an evasive life. Or maybe we say, you know, if I go to worship, I'm going to have to think about God. I'm going to have to think about my spiritual condition. So the best thing for me to do is just not go. Now God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? That's a fair question. Can you imagine being in a courtroom and you're on the stand and God is cross-examining you and God asks, where are you? God knew where they were. He just wanted them to know where they stood. Where they were at that moment in time in life. And so we asked the question, where are you? Now they tried to evade the presence of the Lord, but note also that Moses records they were exposed by the Lord. You see, God asked, where are you? And the Bible says, Adam responded by saying, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Now here is God giving Adam the opportunity to acknowledge what he has done. How many times have we seen a courtroom scene in which a prosecutor or maybe a defense attorney will ask a point-blank question? Did you do a particular crime? In other words, did you or did you not say or do a particular thing? And the opportunity is to be honest and forthright. Well, that's what God is asking. And behind all of it, God is ultimately asking the question, where are you? What about us? If you and I were to 
to just honestly and candidly answer the question, where are we? What would we say? Are we saved or lost? It's no middle ground. It's not a hard question. Are we saved or lost? Paul talks about those who were lost in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 12, and he said they are without hope and without God in this world. But those who are saved in verse 13, he said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a difference. You're either saved or you're lost. If God asks you, where are you? Are you saved or lost? Are you alive in Christ Jesus? Or are you dead in sin? Fair question. You see, that's what God, through His Word, asks. Are you alive in Christ? Are you dead in sin? Are you walking in the light? Or living in darkness? You see, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul said, You were once darkness, now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Another question. Are you involved in the work of the church or are you indolent? And by that I simply mean, are you involved or are you not involved? Are you trying to do what you can to advance the cause of Christ? Or are you apathetic and lukewarm? Now all of us, we have to ultimately, we have to live with, with our decision. The beauty of Christianity, the beauty of the Christian religion is we can always change. We can make a choice for the better. But I think that there are a lot of people like Adam and Eve, they try to hide from the presence of the Lord. And what they're really trying to do is conceal themselves, somehow shroud themselves from anything that is spiritual in nature so that their conscience or their heart will not be pricked. And so the question, where are you? But then fourthly, note if you would the prophecy. God had said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. Now, God had a plan in place before he ever created the world. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, we read of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God endowed man with the ability to make choices in life. And ultimately, God, being omniscient, knew that man, given the choice, would ultimately sin. In other words... Mankind would make wrong decisions in life. And so he had a plan in place. We call it the scheme of redemption. And so in verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Reference here to the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And ultimately what Adam and Eve needed at that point in time was hope. And they, like any other person in the human family, would only be saved by the blood of Jesus. And so here we have God looking down that distant tunnel of time and saying, I'm going to send my son into this world and my son will be the Redeemer.
And ultimately, his son would have his, his heel bruised on Calvary. But he would break the bonds of death by the resurrection from the dead. But Satan would be dealt a death blow. When Jesus rose from the dead, all of the hopes of Satan were ultimately destroyed. So Adam and Eve, they had hope. Today you and I, we have hope. We have hope because of the promised seed. Maybe we've made poor decisions in life. Maybe we're out in that far country. Maybe we sometimes question where we are spiritually speaking. What God wanted of the first couple, he wanted them to reflect upon their state. Similar to the prodigal son in Luke 15, when the Bible says, he came to himself. Adam and Eve needed to come to their spiritual senses. And so God set forth the promised seed, and ultimately they had the hope of pardon. You and I today, we have the hope of pardon. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, in whom, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Here's the question. Are you a Christian? Have you been pardoned by the blood of Jesus? What would you need to do? You want to be a Christian. The Bible says here's how you do it. First, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. And then the Bible says you have to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. That is, that Jesus is the Son of God. Repentance is also mandated. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then you have to be immersed in water so that you might enjoy the washing away of sin. Acts 22, verse 16. Now maybe you're here today, maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. What a golden opportunity this would be for you to start with a clean slate, to leave a life of sin, to come back home to the Lord. There's something great about coming home. I think about holidays and the opportunity to go home and spend time with friends and family. Well, the opportunity to go home, spiritually speaking, and renew that fellowship, that communion with Almighty God. Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about you? Could we pray with you and for you as we stand and sing?